Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. All God's people said, amen. That means I agree. So whenever you say amen, you're agreeing with what's being said. And so we agree with that prayer, Dave, I'd appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad both your house is yours and your wife's house. That makes it less awkward. So, uh, yes, exactly. Same way in my home. So, uh, that's awesome. Uh, just before we get into the message, I just want to make, uh, I just add to that, make a quick announcement. Um, we desire to have a culture and an environment here that's driven by love, that, that everyone that comes in feels like they matter to God, that that they can encounter the presence of the Lord. And, um, and the, anything the enemy can do to kind of disrupt that, he's going to do. And, and so um, one of the things that's been brought to my attention a couple different times from different people is that during the message, there's often a lot of distraction. People getting up and leaving, conversations that are happening, noise that's being made. And, and I know with as distanced as we are, separated, it kind of feels like, well, no one over there can hear me. They can. Voices travel. So... Out of love and respect and care for one another, I just encourage you to try to keep the distractions to a minimum so that as, as we're getting into the Word of God, we can hear what God has to say. As we're worshiping the Lord, we can encounter His presence. Now, we encourage you to respond, just like saying amen, right? A- amen. Amen. Every once in a while you hear something good, say amen. That not only encourages each other, encourages me. Sometimes you even got to throw out a spank that devil, you know, when, when we're going after it, right? You know, whatever the case is, we want you to participate, but participate with what God is doing, and don't let the, the enemy have you participate in what he is doing, because that's where distraction takes place, and you may miss what God has for you if you're participating in those distractions. And so, uh, if we agree together, say amen. Amen. All right. Lord God, we just thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you, God, how you're unleashing this vision and what you're building and how the enemy can't stand it, which is why he's trying to stop it. But we have a promise that all things are possible with our God, and if you be for us, nothing can be against us. So, God, we just hold to those promises today. We ask, God, that you would uh, show grace and mercy for the places and ways that we have now, fallen short, Lord, and we just cling to the blood of Jesus this morning as our redemption, as our salvation. God, open your word to us in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. So last week, we began a new series about this seven-fold focus that God has given our church last week or last year through the events of 2020, amongst all the challenges, God has also began unpacking what he's calling us as a church to be in this community, what he wants us to create. And last week, we began looking at the seven focuses that our church is going to be focused on to create kingdom culture in this region. And last week, we talked about prayer. I'm thankful for, for that announcement Dave gave because God wants his house to be a house of prayer. And so we offered time at the end of church for you to come forward and pray, not just for, for needs and things going on in your own life, but there is a whole row of seats. You can come, sit down before the Lord, and intercede on behalf of needs for other people. That it's a time for us to engage with what God is doing and be prayed for and pray for others because the Spirit of God is moving and He wants to uh, partner with us to accomplish His will in the world. But uh, one of the things we're going to talk about today, the, the topic of today's discussion ties into prayer because often you develop this gifting as you develop your life of prayer, as you learn to en engage with God's presence and go deeper into your prayer life. And so this week, we're going to dive into the focus of prophecy. This is one of my favorite subjects to talk about, is the area of prophetic gifting. And there has been confusion around the subject in the body of Christ for some time. I, I grew up in, in uh, and I've said many times before, I've grown up in environments that taught that prophecy, as the way the Holy Spirit works with believers, doesn't continue today. 
So I, I grew up with a skeptical mind frame as there being any possible way the supernatural abilities of the Holy Spirit could even continue in today's day in regards of healing and, and other things. And prophecy is one of those. One of the most skeptical uh, areas that probably that, that I would have had is someone claiming to be a prophet speaking for the Lord. And so what I want to do today is talk about this gift because I believe God has something very special he wants to do in us and through us in the area of the prophetic gifts. And um, Paul the Apostle, he tells us in the New Testament, in the book of Corinthians and elsewhere, in Ephesians, that the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural abilities. Jesus said that those who believe will do the same works I have done and even greater because I'm going to the Father. And there's a reason. Because we receive power to be his witnesses, right? If we're doing what he's doing, people will know we're connected to Jesus, right? So there's, there's so many reasons why the Holy Spirit gives us these supernatural gifts. But Paul tells us there's a specific reason why the Holy Spirit does these things through us. It's to build up and strengthen the church. We're given the gifts of the Spirit to build up and strengthen the church. Now, if I were the devil... No one should say amen to that. If I were the devil and I wanted to weaken or attack the church, what would I do? I would go after what builds up and strengthens the church. In enemy combat situation, you don't go where they're strongest and most fortified. You try to take out the supplies to weaken your enemy so that they can then be conquered. And I believe what the enemy has done over generations in many different ways is so doubt, skepticism, and even false doctrine in the church to get us to not only believe this is not for today, but doubt that God, who works the impossible, could do the impossible in us and therefore has weakened the church. And one of these areas is the gift of prophecy. Now, before we get into what this looks like in the church today and this calling that God has on us, I want to look at one of, if not the primary assumption many people have in this area, which causes a stumbling block to believe that it continues today or that it could continue today. The primary assumption against the, the gift of prophecy is that, regarding what the Old Testament says, is that a prophet of God will always prophesy correctly or accurately. The primary assumption is that if you are a prophet of God, that you will never get your word wrong. Everything you say will always come to pass uh, for every reason and on every situation. And where this comes from is in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 through 22. This is God giving the law to Moses, Moses passing the law to the people of Israel and instructing about how to determine who godly and, and appointed of God leaders are versus those who would be false. And he says this, he says, any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in the name of another God must die. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give the message that prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. This is the verse that says, if you are a true prophet of God, then what you say will come to pass. If it doesn't come to pass, you're no prophet of mine. And many take this verse and use it as a straw man against any potential prophets today because some who have gotten some things right have also prophesied and gotten some things inaccurately. And the key demarcation in this verse about a true prophet is that what is spoken will come to pass. It'll, if God said it, it will happen. But there is more in the, this time in the life of Israel about prophecy and prophets that's being communicated that we miss because we don't take verses in their context. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, God also says something else about false prophets. He says this. He says, serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands. Listen to his voice and cling to him. False prophets or visionaries who try to lead you astray must be put to death, for they encourage rebellion against the Lord your God, who redeemed you from slavery, brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
Since they try to lead you astray from the way the Lord your God commanded you to live, you must put them to death. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. Now, thinking about what he is saying here, the first thing we have to ask ourselves this question is, does anybody here realistically think that it's our job to find all the false prophets and put them to death? No, why? Because we understand there's a context and there's a, a, a specific reason why God is giving this instruction for this people in this specific time. You see, for the establishment of a relationship between Israel and God, God gave Israel a covenant. That covenant was the law. The establishment of relationship between God and the church of Jesus Christ is not the law. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. The law was dependent on our own ability to be righteous. The blood is dependent on Jesus' ability to be righteous, which is why the blood is a far greater covenant. By Jesus' sacrifice, he fulfilled the law, thus removing our need to live up to every command and standard of the Old Testament law. He ushered us into a new era of grace, not the law. And so there are differences in the way God dealt with and instructed Israel and the way he deals with and instructs us today in this age of grace. And again, understanding the Old Testament, the Israelites, they were to remain in the covenant if they wanted to remain under the blessing of God, under the protection of God. They had to submit to what he commanded to be his light bearers in the world, a kingdom of priests. And in so much, again, in order to receive the protection and blessing of the Lord, they had to love God and obey his commandments. Following a false prophecy would lead to the exact opposite result. It would not lead to obedience. It would lead to a violation of covenant and cause them to fall out from underneath the protection and blessing of God. So there is more to the command of a prophet must get everything right going on in the nation of Israel. It's not just that their prophecy came true. It's that their prophecy wasn't deceptive or misleading away from the very things God had already commanded. Which is why false prophets were connected to idolatry or demonic powers because the evil one uses his power to steal, kill, and destroy through deception. But often because we don't understand the full context of what's being talked about in Scripture, the context of place, time, and the purpose for these laws and commands, we, we create misconceptions in, in our minds and in our hearts about what the Bible is actually saying. And so I want to talk about a couple misconceptions because we haven't fully understood this passage and how it applies, some misconceptions that have arisen in the church because of um, this, this belief of, uh, about prophecy. Number one, all Old Testament prophets always spoke accurately. If God said in order to know that they were a true prophet, they had to always get it right, then the misconception is that every prophet always spoke accurately or they always got their words correct. Wouldn't you agree with that? If that was the command, and that was the way to know, then every prophet we know that was a prophet of God should have always gotten everything right. If that's true, then we have some very difficult biblical struggles with what the Bible reveals. You know, there's a prophet in the Old Testament named Jonah. He's really famous because he's known for being a little fishy. Wait for it. You'll get it. Jonah was called of God to pronounce a judgment on a wicked city called Nineveh. They had fallen into depravity. The, the wickedness was, had arisen to the Lord, and he said, enough is enough. I'm going to pronounce judgment on this city. So he tells his prophet, go to Nineveh and prophesy against this city. But instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah decides to go to Tarshish. So he hops on a boat. You know, He tries to take a three-hour tour to, to uh, the land of Tarshish. And while he's on this boat, a great storm arises, and the, the crew's freaking out. They're throwing stuff overboard to lighten the load, trying to navigate their way through this difficult water. Nothing's working, and so they just decide, well, we need to see what the, why the gods are doing this to us. So they start drawing straws and throwing dice and trying to determine what's going on. And it was determined that it was Jonah's fault, because Jonah had said that he was a prophet of God and that he was actually not going where God told him to go, so... The, the, the lot fell on Jonah. So they come to Jonah and they said, what, what gives? What's the deal? And Jonah said, well, it's because I'm not obeying the Lord that this is happening. Throw me overboard and all will be well with you. 
So they first, they pray, God, please forgive us in advance for throwing your prophet overboard in the storm. But they throw him overboard, and instantly the storm ceases. And God arranges for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and he gets to spend three days and three nights in fish guts, reevaluating his life decisions. And he comes to his, uh, his right mind, yes, God, I should have obeyed you the first time. I'm sorry, I'll obey you now. And God has the fish spit him up onto the land, and he goes into Nineveh. So he's now going into this great city, and in Jonah chapter 3, 3 through 5, and in verse 10, it says, This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command, went on to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That is all he says. He doesn't give any contingencies. He doesn't say, but if... He says, in 40 days, this city is going to be leveled. God's going to raise it to the ground. That's all he declares. And then verse 5 says, The people of Nineveh believed God's message from the greatest to the least. They declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When God saw that they had, what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, what's that say? It says he what? Changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Jonah releases the word, 40 days. That's pretty specific. In 40 days, you are going to be destroyed. The people repent, and God changes his mind. God relents. Do you know, the questions I see here is, did Jonah's word come to pass? No, it did not. Does this make Jonah a false prophet? No, it does not. Do you know the reason why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh? Many people think as well he was a Jew and they, they had racial prejudice and stuff like that. That wasn't the reason. My wife actually brought this to my attention a, a few days, a week or so ago. And, and just to throw it out there, I'm really privileged and humbled to have a wife who's a woman of the word. Some of my best messages are probably the result of her sharing what God has said on her heart. You know, it's like the Wizard of Oz, don't see the man behind the curtain, you know. No, I'm just kidding. But she encourages me by showing me what God reveals to her, and I see things in, in a new way. But Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. It says in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, This change of plans, God not destroying the city, greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he did what we all do. He starts griping to God. Like when we get upset that God doesn't do what we thought he was going to do. It's a, here he says, he says, didn't I say before I left home? So God tells him, go tell the, the city, go tell them we're gonna, you're going to be destroyed. And he says, didn't I tell you before I left home that you would do this? Do what? That's why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Aren't you glad God is slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love? He says, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, God. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted did not happen. He's saying, God, I knew this to be like you. In other words, he's done this before. This is what God does. He doesn't like to destroy. He likes to give grace and unfailing love. This was, was what he likes to do. He knew this to be God. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want to ruin his reputation as a prophet. He didn't want to declare the word and have it not come to pass. He didn't want to be embarrassed for getting a word incorrectly. Or maybe he was a little afraid of being accused of being a false prophet and the circumstances there. But what he tells God is that I'd rather die than be made to look like a fool. And this is the attitude that keeps many of us from stepping out in faith and obeying where God leads. I'd rather die than be made a fool. It keeps us from trusting him completely with our lives and our circumstances and even with our dignity. So often we're left wallowing in the belly of a fish, so to speak, contemplating our life rather than partnering with God in the exciting way he changes hearts and lives. 
But this is a perfect example of a prophet declaring a word and getting it incorrectly. There are other examples of God pronouncing judgment and changing his mind. What does this tell us? Number one is that just because a word doesn't happen the way we heard or the way we prophesied or saw doesn't mean we got the word wrong. We have to understand that we don't understand everything going on behind the scenes regarding what God is doing with the word. And God has a right to change his mind. Of all the people who knows what he's doing, God has a right to change his mind. He has a right to redirect and change what he's doing. And God may want the word released, not for the judgment to come to pass, but to initiate a chain of events that changes the heart and redirects lives for those that the word is for. I mean, I think of the recent predictions about the election. Many um, prophets in the church proclaimed that Donald Trump would win a second term and he'd win by a landslide. And, and there was even a prominent person uh, recently who came out and apologized for not getting the word accurately because it's not Donald that's being sworn in on the 20th right now. It's, it's Joe Biden. But the problem that I see with, with this knee-jerk reaction, one, is that if you look at just the facts of what happened, when the House of Representatives impeached Donald Trump, they had one fact witness and very little evidence, and they impeached him, versus the hundreds of fact witnesses and the wealth of fraudulent evidence that was refused to even be examined by courts and by the government. And yet, here we go. If you look at what the fraud and the evidence in the fraud cases proclaim, he absolutely did win in the landslide. There's no way around it. So did the guy get the word wrong? No. But our interpretation of the word was wrong. What God was actually revealing was wrong. Number two, we also need to understand that there's a time and a place for the word to be given and a season for a word to also be fulfilled. If you think about all the other prophets, many prophesied about the Messiah, what Je- when Jesus would come, what he would do, how he would set up his kingdom, and many of those words didn't come true for hundreds of years after the prophets died out. Anyone in their life would have said, I thought you said this was going to happen. Where's, where's the sign of his coming? Some still have prophecies that haven't been fulfilled thousands of years later. Daniel is a very prominent prophet in the Old Testament who prophesied in the last days there'd be a resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the unrighteous in the judgment. Jesus used his prophecies as the foundation of even his end-time prophetic teaching. Those words haven't come to pass. Is he a false prophet? No. We would not look at that. Why? Because we saw how God worked in other ways that confirmed that he was a prophet of God. Agabus is a well-known prophet in the book of Acts. He accurately predicts that a natural disaster was going to come and save many lives. But then he has a dream about the apostle Paul. He gets the event right, but he gets the actual um, specifics in the event incorrectly. He says one thing would happen and it doesn't. It actually happens a different way. So what we have to remember is though we get the word right, sometimes we get the details wrong. And that doesn't invalidate the individual as a prophet from the church. We have to remember there's a human element in interpreting prophetic words. So even though we get the word accurately, sometimes we get the interpretation inaccurately. And this reveals that we actually need help in our interpretation. Misconception number two is that God's prophets are the only ones that predicted future events accurately. We would assume this, that that was, the, that was the test. If they prophesied accurately, they were from God. So it only must be God's prophets that can prophesy accurately when that's actually not the case biblically. There's a prophet in the Old Testament named Balaam in the book of Numbers. He was not even Jewish. He was not a part of the Jewish family line. And the king of Moab, as the Jews had come out of Egypt and were beginning to go through the promised land to, you know, wandering around, trying to go from place to place, following the presence of God. The king of Moab hires Balaam, who's a well-known prophet, known for his prowess in prophetic giftings, um, prophesied and and ministered on behalf of many different gods. He hires him to usher a curse against the people of Israel because he didn't want to be defeated in battle against the people of Israel. And, of course, God appears to Balaam, has a conversation as if God knows who he is, or Balaam knows who he is, And God wouldn't let Balaam curse the people of Israel. And so 
Is it in this story that Balaam's prophecies failed, which invalidate him as a false prophet? No. But the second is true. He used his prophetic influence not to prophesy inaccurately, but to mislead the nation of Israel. He used his influence to lead them not into his curse, but to curse themselves by turning away from the Lord, to involve themselves in pagan worship and sexual immorality. That's what invalidated Balaam as a false prophet. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 16, there's a slave girl that starts following, following Paul and, and his uh, uh, companion around proclaiming something that's true, that he was, he was a, a child of God, chosen of God, a, a man of God. And it frustrated Paul so much that he cast the spirit, the demonic spirit that was in her, out of her. And it says in the scripture that she lost the ability to tell the future. She was such a good fortune teller that she was making her masters a lot of money. And when he cast the spirit out of her, she couldn't do it anymore. It wasn't because she couldn't tell the future. It's because she could tell the future. So what made her a false prophet or a false prophetess? It's because her future events that were prophesied were meant to deceive and pull away from God, not to bring to the Lord. In Jeremiah 23, 28 the prophet writes this from the Lord. He says, let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my word. There's a difference between straw and grain. There will be false prophets, but let my true prophets arise. There's a difference between straw and grain. There's a difference. There's a responsibility on us to not only learn to recognize and discern true from false prophecy, but we have a, a warning in the New Testament that in the last days, as it gets closer to the time of Christ's return, there's going to be many false prophets who arise with the potential to mislead the body of Christ through a demonic empowerment, and we're not instructed to be afraid or shun prophetic talk or prophetic revelation. In 1 John 4, 1, he says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit of God, but you must what? What's that say? You must test them. He says, don't freak out about it. Don't shun it. Don't, don't act like, oh, I can't have anything to do with that. He's like, test it. Test to see if the spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. And when you continue to read that passage, he doesn't say you'll know they're a false prophet because their prophecies are inaccurate. He says they're a false prophet because they don't believe the right things about Jesus. They don't believe he came in the flesh. They don't believe he died and rose again. They don't believe the foundational things through the Christian faith. That's how you know they're a false prophet. So more than accuracy is the intent of the prophet and the prophecy. The intent of the prophecy will give us insight to where the source of the word is coming from, either God or the enemy, and whether or not the word is valid or not. If the word is from God, it'll lead us to worship God with more of our hearts to trust in his promises, to trust the word, to press in closer, to have hope for tomorrow. And it will accomplish God's will in our life. And when it comes to the pass, it will come to pass. In Isaiah 55, 11, this is what the Lord says. He says, so shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Anytime God gives a word, it will accomplish the very purpose he gave the word for. It'll accomplish it. We don't have to question it. He will accomplish the very thing that he said. So whether we see the word come to pass or not does not necessarily disqualify the word or the prophet. What disqualifies the word is the source from which the word comes. Does it align with the scripture? Does the prophet have a sound doctrine or a belief about Jesus? Is the word intended to pull someone away from the Christian faith or away from sound teaching and what the Bible says? Does it twist what the Bible says in order to get us on a different path? That's what makes it a false prophecy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is instructing the church, beginning in verse 19, he says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. This is where these knee-jerk reactions come from. They come from misconceptions. And what happens when we run with these misconceptions, the first thing we do is we stifle the work of the Spirit. What do we do? We say, well, I don't get it. I don't understand it. So I'm going to have nothing to do with it. And when you don't pursue the things God says to pursue, God can't work in your life the way he wants to work in your life. So he's saying, don't, don't knee-jerk reaction. Don't have nothing to do with it. 
Don't, don't stifle what the Spirit wants to do. Don't scoff at what? At prophecies. Don't scoff at revelation. That word scoff means to despise. Don't despise them. Don't neglect them. Don't forsake them. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. Now, how do we test it? What does the scripture tell us about testing? 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1 says, The truth or the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The testimony of every case, the truth and the facts of the information or in the situation must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So when we receive a word from the Lord or a word is given, we need to look for the confirmation of the word. We need to look for the two or three witnesses that establish this as a word from God. We not only look at the prophet and what they believe and what they stand for and what they teach, but we also need to look for the confirmation of the word. I'm going to give you three of the most common types of confirmation you'll experience in your life. Three most types of confirmation. Number one is probably the most important. It's biblical confirmation. The Bible is the foundation of everything we believe. Right? The Spirit of God who inspired the Bible is not going to contradict what he said in the Scripture. He's not going to violate what he said. He's not going to call something sin 2,000 years ago and just magically not call it sin today. He's not going to do that. So anything that violates what we know to be true in Scripture is false prophecy. Don't accept it. Number two, it's personal confirmation. If someone comes up to you and says, man, I just believe God is, is telling you, laid this on my heart to share with you, and they share with you that word, it's going to connect with something in your life. It's either going to be something you've been thinking about, maybe something you've been praying about, or in your heart, it just kind of testifies, it just comes alive and be like, wow, that, yes, that makes sense to me. That really connects with my heart. The Spirit of God is going to testify in you that this is for you. And number three is corporate. What are other believers in Christ saying? Oftentimes, when a word is given, you'll not just hear it from one place. You'll hear it again, and you'll hear it again in completely unrelated circumstances. So there, there are many different ways to test, but we need to look for at least two or three confirmations. And by lining up the prophetic word with the word of God, by seeking wisdom and confirmation, we can then discern what is good and what is bad, throw away the bad, and as Paul said, hold fast to what is good. We dismiss bad interpretation, but we put faith in good application. Number three. The third misconception is that there are no new prophets in the New Testament church. There are no new prophets needed. This often comes from this belief that all the gifts of the Spirit died out when the apostles died, that when the Scripture was completed and the book of Revelation and the canon was put together, we didn't need the gifts of the Spirit anymore but ultimately, we need to look at what the Bible shows us as what is common in the church. We already mentioned Agabus, but we see him appear in Acts eleven twenty seven. 27. It says, during this time, some what? Some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. This is after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost. In Acts 13, 1, it says, among the what? Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. Acts 15.32 says, Then Judas and Silas, both being what? Prophets. Spoke at length to believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. In Acts 21, verses 8 and through 9, it says, The next day... They went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of what? Prophecy. Over and over and over again, you see the prophetic gifts, the gifts of prophecy, alive and well in the church, and not just with those who are considered prophets, but amongst all believers. Philip had the gift of evangelism, and his daughters operated in the gift of prophecy. Prophecy was a regular gift in the body of Christ. Now, one of the, the things we wrestle with is understanding the difference between the Old and the New Testaments. In the Old Testament, you had the nation of Israel who were led by the prophets. God chose a man or a woman. In, mo in many cases, it was one individual in a region or over a tribe who God would appear to and speak and say, give this word on behalf 
of the Lord, they would go present that to the rulers who were in charge, and their word was to be followed as if God himself gave the word. So the impact of the prophet's word was highly significant because he was the only one who was able to speak for the Lord. He was the prophet. Moses was the prophet. He led the nation of Israel. So we have this relationship. God used the prophets to then lead and direct this group of people. And so the, the weight that their word had was highly impactful. But the Spirit of God would come upon the prophets in the Old Testament. But he did not stay with the prophets. In the New Testament, all who call upon the name of the Lord, who are saved, who are born again, the Spirit of God doesn't just come upon you, but he lives in you. And he never leaves you or forsakes you. There's a difference between how God operated with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and how he operates in the New Testament. We see the fulfillment of this in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, confirming an Old Testament prophecy from Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will what? They will prophesy. In the day the spirit is poured out, the spirit of prophecy comes upon every believer. What's that mean? It means we all have the connection with God where we can hear God's voice and we can share with other people what God is saying to us. We all have the gift of prophecy if you're a child of God because you all have a relationship with God. You see, in the church, as we see in this passage, he speaks to us how? In visions, in dreams, in prophetic words or utterances, like words of knowledge. Where Have you ever been talking to somebody and you're just having a conversation and then they bring up a scenario in their life and all of a sudden you, you see in your mind, like, like you kind of picture that situation and then and like you, you just feel like, man, I just, I just feel this way about what they're talking about. It's almost like you get, were given a snapshot of the circumstance and you have information now that you would have never known previously. And then you share that information, like, yeah, how'd you know that? That's the spirit of prophecy. It's the spirit of God. It's how he works and communicates. He, he, and he does this on many different levels as he works and moves in our hearts. He spoke directly and clearly to the prophets so they couldn't misunderstand and he, they could give an accurate word. And in the life of the church, he doesn't just speak to one. He speaks to all. He speaks to all of us. It's not a select few who have this gift. It's every believer. Now that everyone is prophesying, everyone is able to hear from God and speak from God, we don't have such a high bar that we have to measure and reach. In the Old Testament, you had a mandate, follow the word of the prophet. Obey without question. Do not fear because he's speaking for the Lord. In the New Testament, your mandate is don't take everything as from the Spirit of God. Test the Spirit. Try the word. Seek for confirmation. Make sure you know that it's the Spirit of God that is speaking through the church. We've been brought together in one body, in one church, through one spirit, to work at encouraging and strengthening one another. We can all hear from the Lord. So it's important that we test and evaluate what's being shared as words that are given through the prophetic gifts so that we know that we're all being rooted and built up in the truth. Why this is important is 1 Corinthians 13.9. Paul tells us we know in part, but we also prophesy in part. When God speaks to our hearts and he gives us a word... We, we prophesy in part. Another translation says it like this. Our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. So the way God's working in the body of Christ is that if he gives a word to me and he, he gives me a prophetic word, that's only one snapshot of the entire situation. So he'll take my word that he gives me, and then he'll give you a word, and now you have a snapshot. And then you have a word, and you have a snapshot. And you have a word and you have a snapshot. We bring those words together and we get to see the full picture of what God is doing. Because he's working with us as a whole, not just individual people. I want to give you a recent example of how this gift works. Uh, Tuesday I went to a pastor's meeting. Uh, we do once a month and uh, different pastors around the, uh, the state. And 
Normally, we have just a little Bible study, discussion about leadership, a time of worship, and we have a meal together. But this time, the, the leader, Pastor Dave Ferrani of Bay Valley Christian Church, he just felt impressed of God to do something a little differently. It's like today, instead of doing the normal thing, we're just going to, you know, go around the room and open it up for God to speak and, and just see who he would lay on our hearts to, to speak over and, and just encourage people to just pray and try to discern a word from God for these individuals. And so he first had a, a gentleman stand up who um, is the son of a, a pastor in the area, and he began to give a word to that gentleman, and a few others began to give words. It was really encouraging, really uplifting. And then um, a young lady stood up, and they began to prophesy over her. And while that's happening, I just felt in my spirit, okay, I'm next. I don't know why. I just know that they're going to pick me. I just, and so when, the, when they got done speaking over the girl, I, like, I did what you, know, you do when you don't want to be called on in a class. You just put your head down. You just act like you're not really interested. And so I'm doing that. And all of a sudden he says, Pastor Joey, why don't you stand up? And so I'm like, okay. You know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I just didn't want to be a center of attention or anything. But what we're praying for as a church, our 2021 vision, we're praying for really three things. We're praying for 21 new families in 2020, a fully funded building program so that we can break ground next year on our new house of worship, and for more leaders to come and to, um, to join us so we can build this ministry that God is building. And the very first word that came out of Pastor Dave's mouth whenever I stood up, he's like, I just get a sense that God is getting ready to send you more leaders and that you need to be ready to begin putting in place ways to raise them up into position so that, so that you guys can continue to move forward and build this work that God is leading you to do. And then the next one was like, I, I, just, I just really think God is pleased with you. You've been doing exactly what he's led you to do. And I just want to confirm that you're on the right track and just keep pressing into what, what God is doing. And, and I, just, I just think God is just is so excited for how you've been obeying his voice and obeying his word. You know, as an insecure leader who thinks he doesn't know what he's doing, to think, I think this is what God asks. And for people unrelated I've had no conversations with to rise up and speak that by the spirit of God, you want to talk about confirmation. And boldness and something that encourages the faith. This is what the prophetic word is about, is to release what God is saying to help confirm. There's sometimes you are struggling and you're confused. You don't know, man, I haven't got this decision to make. I don't know which one's the right one. God, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? We ask this question, but we don't really seek his voice. We don't really seek to listen. We just kind of pray to complain about our misery and our frustration. But God has something to say. Not only did I walk away with confidence that we're on the right track, but also in my mind now some action steps that I need to begin doing to prepare for what God's getting ready to do among us. And that's exciting. And you might ask the question, why doesn't God just tell us plainly? Like if he could speak audibly to the Old Testament prophets, like he could send an angel, which I think he still does today, but he could send an angel in fire to stand, you know, to come and, and just like everyone bows to the ground and fear for their life because of what they're encountering. If he could do that back then, why doesn't he do that today? Why does he speak through visions, dreams, and prophetic utterances in the church today? In Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says something really powerful to consider. It says, the glory of God is to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search it out. The glory of God is to conceal things, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. What does that mean? It means God withholds some things to draw your heart in to discover what he's doing. He's already been pursuing us. He sent Jesus. He sent the Spirit. He's spoken. He's opened the door to revelation. And what he's doing is he's inviting us to go deeper into the story, deeper into his heart. If you think about Jesus, why did Jesus speak in parables? Because he wanted the people that wanted to find to seek. He wanted the people that wanted the door open to revelation to knock, to partner with him, to enter into this relationship. It's the same reason. So as it pertains to the church, there are prophetic gifts. We've all been given through the Holy Spirit, but there also is remaining the office of the prophet. Again, all believers can hear from God and release words. Prophecy is what you do when you share what God is saying to you with another person. But there's a difference between being prophetic and being a prophet. A prophet is not what you do. A prophet is who you are. If you think about being a pastor, 
a pastor is not just what I do. A pastor is part of who I am, is what God has called me to do. You know, you can be a teacher, you can teach, but there's a difference between being a called teacher into the body of Christ and just filling a Sunday morning because somebody was absent. Right? Everyone can grow as a teacher, but there's a difference between the anointing to be a teacher and just filling a spot. There's a difference. We all can hear from God. We can all prophesy. But there's a difference between that basic prophetic gift we all have and being called out by God to stand before kings and speak words over nations. There's a difference. In 1 Samuel 3.19, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, it says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did not let any of his words fall to the ground. I love this description about Samuel because what it tells us is that he was so connected with God he was in touch with God in such a way that he didn't even have to hear from the Lord. He knew God's heart to the point that when he spoke, God made it happen anyway. He didn't have to wait for, to receive a word from God. He just said, it will be done in the name of the Lord. And God made it happen because he already knew how God would react in a situation. And that's how connected I want to be with the Spirit of God. That I don't have to have God speak because I already know his heart to the point that I can act in faith and not question and this is what I think God's desire is, is as we are on this journey to pursue his voice and to pursue his presence, that we become so in tune with his heart that, that faith is just a natural outgrowth, that doubt disappears, that we're so surrendered to his will and we're walking according to the prophetic guidance that God is just able to do miraculous and big things on a regular, everyday basis. See, a prophet's role in office in the church is a special calling for a specific purpose. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 says, These are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the body of Christ, which is the church. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Prophets pray play an important role in the church because through their ministry, they help equip everyone else to do the work that God has called them to do. Prophets discern seasons. They discern the heart of God. They discern coming events, what we should be focusing on, pressing into, how we should be partnering with God to accomplish his will in the world. They're spiritual guidance counselors who are discerning the word and will of God. And what the Holy Spirit's plan is for us. They're not to be seen as fortune tellers. You don't go to a prophet to have them pick your mate or your lottery numbers. But you go to discern the heart of God in the situation. Or the will of God in the situation. They help raise up others with the prophetic gift to help their relationship with God be built. Again, we can all prophesy. We can all hear from God. We can all release words over one another, but the, the office of a prophet is probably one of the most neglected in the body of Christ. And it's vital for our health and our strengthening. Matter of fact, this gifting, not just with us or even the office, is so vital in 1 Corinthians 14. As Paul is telling the church, when you gather for worship, here should be the pursuit of your gathering. He says, let love be your highest goal. Amen? We're driven by love. Let love be your highest goal, he says, but when you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, which means go after it. You should desire to be filled with God and overflowing with his presence, his gifts, his abilities, because that's how we connect our hearts with the heart of God and how others experience the heart of God and love in their lives. He says, if you have the ability to speak in tongues... You'll only be speaking to God since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, and it will all be mysterious. But the one who prophesies and strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. It's like when you're speaking in tongues, yes, you're having this encounter with God, and it's good. You're being built up and rooted. It's a good thing. But no one else is having that experience. It's just you. But when you gather together and you're prophesying, the whole place can be encouraged, strengthened, and comforted. Paul wanted everyone to pursue the prophetic gift because it is a gift that benefits not just the individual but the whole group. Why do the gifts of the Spirit build up the church? It's because they strengthen, they encourage, and they comfort. 
When you give a prophetic word, it's not just a word from the Lord unless it strengthens, encourages, and comforts. That's how you know the difference between something in your flesh and the Spirit of God. If you release a word to someone and they feel attacked and accused and condemned, not strengthened, encouraged, and comfort, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. The Spirit strengthens, encourages, and comforts. Does that mean God will never reveal hidden secrets and sin? No. But when he does, it's not to condemn or accuse. It's to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. God is gracious. The Spirit of God speaks so gently to us. And this is so important to understand because Paul goes on. He says, if someone comes into your gathering, and, he, and again, he hears everyone speaking in tongues. He just kind of is nitpicking on this gift. But if you can put yourself in, a, in the place of someone who has no concept of the Christian faith, and you walk into a room, and everyone's just like going crazy with their own language, just over and again, you'd be like, what did I just, where, where did I just come to? Like, like, what is this place? What's happening here? You know, it'd be crazy. You're like, did, was this the church? I just, I don't, I don't know. I'm just going to go over here. Like, I don't know what was in that communion juice, but it, you know. It's just, it's just a natural reaction. But what he's looking at, he's like, but check this out. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. He said, but if they were to come in and they had no knowledge of what's going on and all of you are prophesying and unbelievers are people who don't understand these things come into your meeting They'll be convicted of sin. They'll be judged by what you say. And as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed, and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly among you. God is truly in this place. We call this often in prophetic speak, reading someone's mail. When you're talking with somebody, and the Spirit of God just gives you a word of knowledge or a word for them, and, and you're able to speak into their life things you would never understand or ever, ever have knowledge of previously. When someone comes in and you read their mail, even if it's a secret sin or a secret struggle, even if it's someplace they've been guarding and trying to keep you know, close to the chest, the feeling will not be condemnation and judgment. They won't feel exposed in a way that shame and condemnation covers them. Accusation is from the enemy. When the Spirit of God is speaking, even in the point of pointing out a secret struggle, they will experience the life-transforming, unconditional love of God. The very love Jesus poured out on the cross where he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He doesn't highlight sin to say, oh, you rotten sinner. Why are you doing that? No, he says, look, this is destroying your life, but I, have, I live so you can have a better way. I'm pointing this out so that I can bring you into a place where you can be blessed and then you can be comforted. And in that, you have this overwhelming encounter with his presence that leaves you in awe of his goodness. To see him in the goodness of the Lord. No other gift, not healing, not teaching, not tongues, none of them are said to impact a person in this way. And so I believe it's because our innermost secrets are the places we guard with the most care. The place we feel the most vulnerable is the place we try to hide from the world and keep people from finding out. But when the Spirit of God touches that place, our greatest fears will not be confirmed, but God's unconditional love will be experienced. And it's life-changing. And I believe God wants to create a prophetic culture here at Vertical Life Church. We began last year by running our basic training for prophetic ministry for those interested in being a part of our prayer team. Chris is running it right now uh, on Sunday mornings with our Sunday morning adult life group. With our elementary kids, we started a, a uh, curriculum to help them begin now learning to hear God's voice and develop a relationship with God. And just seeing how our young kids are on fire for God is so encouraging to see like the faith that is coming out of those young kids. I'm so thankful for those that pour into our kids and teach them how to hear the Lord and develop their relationship with God. My heart is, is that we as a body of believers in this house of God, when we gather together, we're flowing in the spirit at such capacity that all who enter here respond to what they encounter by saying God is truly in this place. God is here. And I have a vision for this prophetic ministry. It's as we, at the end of our services, have people come forward for prayer that we also would have teams of people who hear from God and are skilled in this area of gifting can come and, 
and can give words over people. And I experienced this for the first time in my life last year when my wife and I went down to the International House of Prayer. We, um, we were just dealing with some discouragement, and an opportunity came up for us to go down and, and go through their, to the prayer room and, and be a part of the prophetic ministry. And we, we get down in this room, and there's three individuals in front of us who are, are in their prophetic ministry. And my wife and I and my, my sister-in-law are there in the room. And, and kind of like we did at the, uh, the pastor's meeting, we took time to, to speak over one another. And I'm sitting there, and when it was my turn, and they just took time to really just pray and ask the Lord, God, what are you saying over, over this man? What are you saying um, over your son? And when they begin to speak, I'm sitting there in a chair up against a wall, and I literally felt like something came down and wrapped its arms around me, and I felt nothing but peace in that moment. I have never felt anything like that in my life. May that be an angel or the Lord himself, whatever it was. I couldn't see it. I could feel it. And I was so encouraged in that moment. So I know why people say, God is truly among you. Because when the prophetic word is released, it is such a powerful thing. And I, wanna, I want us to join together to create an atmosphere where people feel safe to begin walking and discovering the gifts of the Spirit, to take risks and develop their prophetic gifts in an environment of encouragement and accountability. It's, you know, someone steps out in faith, that's, especially for the first time, it's a scary thing. So, you know, if you've, never, if you've never given a word before and you feel impressed upon your heart, that can be kind of nerve-wracking to do that for the first time. But one of the best ways to grow is getting honest feedback. So someone comes up to you and says, I just, I just believe this is a word from the Lord, you know, let, let them share it with you and then give them honest feedback. If you heard something unbiblical, tell them. If it didn't resonate with you, say, you know what, thank you, I appreciate you caring for me in that way. I don't see how that affects me right now or applies to me, but I'll, I'll continue to pray and ask for confirmation on, on that word. And just let them know, be honest with them. But if it's true and it comes to pass, let them know to encourage their faith. Because we got to know when we're doing right, just not when we're doing wrong. Right? So that helps us learn and grow. It's the way with anything we do in this Christian life. You have, to, you have to take risk of faith. You have to begin to move forward, and you have to grow. Paul said, don't scoff at prophecy, but test it. And lastly, probably one of the promises, the, the most important thing is when God releases a word, often he's promising, releasing a promise in your specific situation. And he does it to help you get through times that are really difficult. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Paul is speaking to this protege, this disciple, a young man in the faith, he's discipling as a leader. And here's what Paul tells him, which is so important for us. He says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on what? Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Hold fast to the prophetic words. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Battles are coming against us every day. We're leaving one to go to another. There are struggles all the time. And may it be the reason why personally and corporately as a church, we seem to be losing more than they're winning. is because we're not fighting well. We haven't been fighting well. Why? Because we haven't been holding fast to the prophetic words that have been spoken. One, because we've not listened to the words. Or two, we've not given them any credibility. Maybe it's because as a body of Christ, we've not been built up and strengthened. We haven't been built up and strengthened because we've not been following the divine plan God has released through the prophetic word. Amos 3.7 says, Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. God is leading, God is moving, and how he leads is he confirms his word, both biblically and prophetically. A word God spoke to me this week as we draw to a close. It was in a most obscure passage of scripture. And I don't know if you relate with this, but sometimes like you're reading the Bible and you're reading one of those weird passages where it's kind of like intense or, or dark or heavy and and all of a sudden, God speaks to you. I was like, oh, I didn't know I could get that out of this passage of Scripture. But this past week, I was reading about Sodom and Gomorrah. or was dwelling on 
just what God was saying. And I thought about Sodom and Gomorrah, this wicked city that God destroyed by fire. He judged them because of their wickedness. But before he poured out his judgment, he rescued Lot and his family and brought them to safety. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And when the angels came to rescue this family, as they're pulling them out, he, said, he says, don't look back, the angel, don't look back at the city, but keep your eyes ahead, keep moving forward to experience the redemption or the salvation of God. God's going to rescue you, but keep looking forward, don't look back. And as they're leaving the city, Lot's wife takes a second and looks back at the city, and she turns into a pillar of salt. And we often give her a bad rap because, well, she didn't have faith. She didn't keep this, blah, blah, blah. And we like to condemn. But if you put yourself in her place, her sons-in-law were still in the city. Her friends, probably her best friend, was in the city as it's being destroyed. The home that she probably grew up in and, and built was now being destroyed. Everything she knew was being destroyed in this moment. And you can imagine how difficult it would be to just keep looking forward ahead when you know there's people you care about and there's stuff that, that you've just been holding on to your whole life is being destroyed or being burnt to the ground. All the sentimental attachment. When God spoke to my heart this week is relating to this story is that many of us, especially with COVID-19 and all the crazy in the world today, many of us are a lot like Lot's wife. We've heard the word of the Lord. Look forward. But we keep looking back at the wreckage. We keep looking back at all the chaos going on around us. So rather than experiencing the joy and the, the hope and the peace and the redemption of our God, we get swept up in all the chaos going around us. And what God spoke to my heart was just this reality that the reason why we keep looking at it in the world and keep focusing on all the, the negativity is because that's where our hearts are really rooted. Our hearts are rooted in the world around us rather than the kingdom that is within us. Our hearts are rooted in the world where all the chaos is. That's why we can't get our minds off of it rather than the kingdom within us. And rather than experiencing the rescue and redemption in the process of what God is taking you through, we get overwhelmed and swept up in the chaos unfolding around us. And may it be that God wants to increase the prophetic word in us, the voice of God in us, in our church and in our lives, so that we can take our eyes off the chaos and focus on his rescue. His redemptive promise. May it be that God wants to raise us up as a prophetic people so we can help others take their eyes off the chaos and focus on the promises of God. Instead of being overtaken in the destruction, we can experience encouragement, strength, and comfort in the arms of the Lord to turn away from the wreckage and focus on the prophetic word. I believe God is calling us to change the culture in this region from negative to positive, built on the promises of God. I believe what God wants us to do is he wants us to impart the gifting of the Spirit to those who are hungry, to speak encouraging words to those who are broken, who are in need, to unleash the power of God in this place. When God revealed this focus to me last year, it was either that night or it was a couple days later, so I'm really just trying to ingest what I felt God was laying on my heart. In that word, he said, I've given you a labor filled with the Holy Spirit to pour out this prophetic anointing, this prophetic blessing, and to impart words to those who are, who are hurting and those who are broken. And I go outside to let my dogs out, as I normally would. And I stand outside and I look in the stars. So the Bible says, God's glory is revealed in the heavenlies. So I, I like to look at the sky because it reminds me how big God is. But as I'm thinking about this word, he's given us a labor filled with the Holy Spirit to pour out his blessing. I look up and it's like right over our house is the Big Dipper. And I, I didn't know it was going to be like that. You know how when the moon is huge and it's like just shocks you? You know the moon's always there, but it's like, whoa, the moon, you know. It was like, I know the Big Dipper's always up there. But to that night, it was huge right over our house. And I just thought, holy God, you've given us a labor filled with the Spirit to pour out on this region, to pour out on these people, 
to hear the voice of God and to encounter his very presence. What a privilege, everybody. What a privilege. Do you want a church that's saturated in the presence of God, where God speaks and people have undeniable encounters with the Lord? Do you want that kind of church? If you do, say amen. And if you do, why don't you stand with me as we receive this mandate from the Lord. And we're gonna go into a time of worship and prayer and response. Our prayer team will be down front. There'll be those on the side to pray with you. Adults, if our youth wanna come forward, there'll be a team down here in the front. There'll also be this front row of seats where you can come and just kneel before God. Maybe there's just something you've been wrestling with and you just need to get alone before the Lord. You can come down and pray as his presence is moving and I know God is gonna touch your life. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Let's receive this mandate. Lord God, we've heard your voice and we receive this, uh, this mandate, this call to release the prophetic word in this season. God, thank you for the labor filled with your Holy Spirit. We ask you now, God, to turn it over and dump it upon us, Lord, that the anointing of the prophetic word would come upon us. You'd raise up your prophets. You'd raise up your believers with faith to know that they can hear your voice, God, that you make your voice clear. For those, God, that even in this morning say, you know, I don't think I've ever heard the voice of God, that, God, you'd begin giving visions and dreams, that the still small voice would begin to speak louder and clearer, that the noise that has been keeping their eyes fixed on the chaos would be drowned out, and, God, their, their ears, their spirit could hear the voice of the Lord. God, for those that are that are really wrestling with specific situations, relationship situations in their life, God, whether it be a marriage or a family member or a child, maybe it's a health issue, God, that as the Spirit is moving, they would come forward for prayer and that you release your power in this place. Let your healing hand be released. Let your prophetic word be released, God. Come and bring strength, encouragement, and comfort in Jesus' name. church we want to say thank you for listening if this ministry has blessed you in any way please consider making a tax deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give thank you and god bless